1: Hey everybody! Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank Larosa. I am Frank Larosa, your host, and I am absolutely thrilled to have a guest speaker on today, Rich Steinmeier from LPL. He's the Managing Director and President of Business Development. How you doing, Rich? Really good, Frank. Good to be with you. Thanks. Awesome. I appreciate you joining. I know this is sort of a last-minute thing. So for everybody joining us today, I sort of lassoed Rich into doing this podcast very quickly because for those of you that don't know, LPL came out last week and announced an evolution in their business, which has really took the industry by storm, created a lot of hoopla last week. And that was they're coming out with a new employee model. And I think it's, I'm not going to say revolutionary, but for a firm like LPL that has always been known as the sort of the large independent broker dealer firm, that's where you go if you want to be independent for the most part. To come out with this new employee, true W2 model was really something special. For me, it was special because, and for those of you that don't know, I just released a podcast yesterday about what got you to where you are today is not going to get you to where you are tomorrow. And this was like a perfect example of this. And when I recorded that podcast, I didn't know they were coming out with this at the time. I had heard some rumors about something like this. You were thinking about it. But when I got the call and had you guys roll this thing out, it was really interesting because I just, I believe that, candidly, not everybody's cut out for independence and that's okay. We did a podcast about that two weeks ago. And so, Rich, why don't you give our audience just sort of a general idea of what this true W-2 model looks like? And because I think there's a lot of firms out there that say they have a W-2 or an employee model, but it's not quite the same. And I think this is sort of right down the middle.
0: Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it and appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. So. What we identified in the marketplace was almost exactly what you're talking about. Most advisors actually would prefer to be independent, but independence sometimes can be a step too far for advisors. And so we spent a lot of time listening to advisors to identify, okay, wow, I want to be independent, but I also want a lot more support than what independence may traditionally be defined as. And as we began that exploration... What we realized is is that we thought we could keep the principles of independence, which is recognizing that the advisor is at the center of this model, which for us means that you own your clients. And I think that is a full stop sentence, which is you own your clients, you own your practice. We're going to construct into a W 2 model, which means you're going to be provided benefits and the like and a lot of knock ons. But you start with the advisors are going to own their clients. The second is, they're going to be unencumbered from the way that they want to do business. So do business however you do business today inside of a compliant capacity, but we're not going to direct you. You have to do banking, or you have to do this much in new client growth, or you have to do this many new clients a year, or you're not going to serve small clients. We don't think that's right. We think advisors are actually great to figure out how they run their best practices. So don't encumber me. Third is then figure out how to compensate me that reflects that the advisor is the center of gravity and the advisor took the risk. And I will say, go look at all of the training programs. Every advisor that comes out, if they fail, their firm does not provide a safety net for them. The advisor took the risk. The advisor put the shingle. The advisor put the blood, sweat, tears, equity into that business. And the advisor should reap the rewards of that business. And so for us, it was really important to have a payout that reflected that the economics should be delivered to the advisor. And then, like I mentioned, we do think that there's a lot of support that folks may want. And so that means take down space for me and pay for my space and pay for my staff and provide me marketing support, dedicated marketing support to help me establish my brand, to help me grow my practice and be involved with me at every step of the way. So surround me with that which I want, give me the spoils and the benefits of independence, Don't direct me and pay me at a high payout. And I think if you put those together, we feel like there's a pretty compelling offering that we can present to advisors that we think is differentiated. And the good news is I think it's resonating in the space. That's probably the so what of it, Frank.
1: Awesome. That really encompasses sort of the the philosophy and why you did it. One of the things you mentioned, you're talking about offerings, six months or so now, maybe it's nine months. You brought out what was called the strategic wealth solution model which was almost what we call like supported independence. Not quite, it's not retail, not W2, but it's also not totally independent. You pick your space, you do all of those things. When I look at this particular piece, I see it as sort of filling in the circle of offerings for an advisor where the advisor's in the middle and they can pick. But one of the questions that I've gotten from some people is, well, what's the difference between that and the strategic wealth model that they rolled out a few months ago or six months ago, and how are they going to compete against each other?
0: So I think you've actually hit on something philosophically. So let me maybe take one half step back there again. So our belief at LPL is that we are here to support advisors in however they want to run their practices. And so if you start with that, over time we're talking about models, and we're calling this a W two model, and we're calling that a supported independent model, but Our belief is at some point in the future, there's gonna be a continuum of how advisors want to run their practice. And some of them want space, and some of them want benefits, and some of them want to take those risks on themselves. And so you would imagine that over time for us, you look at 360,000 advisors in the US market, and we're going to try to figure out how we can serve those advisors across their choice as to how they want to run their practice, not how somebody ordains a practice should be run. And so this, if you start philosophically to say, We don't believe at the end of the day, there's actually going to be models. We think at some point an advisor is going to say, these are the things that are important to me. I'm a high growth advisor. I want lead generation to me. I want a growth consultant directly dedicated to me. I need a CFO involved in my practice, but I don't need some of these other things. Then you'll run, Frank, your discrete practice the way you want it to be run. We're headed on a journey there. But as it stands right now, the truth is, to get to that journey, we've got to put some mile markers out there. And so for us, there's a center of gravity, a, what we're calling an independent employee model, which is what we introduced. And you mentioned the strategic wealth services that we introduced about six months ago. And so think of strategic wealth services as someone who still wants to take down their space, still wants to employ their staff, still wants to actually set up benefits, and so is taking more of the risk in their practice, but wants to do it with a partner who is sourcing the space, building the space where you're just making choices into the space, building out all of your technology for you, helping you build your benefits regime, partnering you with like a payroll partner, a healthcare partner. But in the end, you're running an independent practice. You're a 1099 employee. And then not only do we help you come out from the wires, but then we're providing you professional support to run the best practice. So that is CFO services, directly dedicated marketing services, administrative services, and then that CTO element of setting up all of your technology and running it ongoing. So it's independent, but we're right beside you helping you run it. Whereas the W2 model, a great example. We just have an advisor at LPL who three weeks ago found out about it. She found out beforehand and she's 58 and she's been independent for the last 25 years but she doesn't want to take down the lease, the next 10-year lease. And she's kind of away from wanting to do HR policy for her staff. And so she's wanting to take a step back in her practice, but she didn't want to leave LPL. That's that circle you're talking about that we'd like to build over time, which is as your practice evolves and as you go through different stages in the development and evolution of your practice, we stay with you and we're the ones that become malleable and fungible. And we are supporting you in different ways. And so what you have there are two different ways to support advisors, primarily coming out of the wirehouses. if I'm frank about those two different models, but advisors who may be pursuing similar ends, but one maybe a little more independence and one a little bit more supported, but still independent minded. Our anchor point is going to be that we think that the best and brightest advisors have got it figured out and know how to be great advisors. And our job is to surround them and Present them offerings and capabilities to help them run their ideal practice. But in the end, independent minded advisors, not necessarily independent, but independent minded advisors.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the questions that I was going to get to, but you're talking about it now, is sort of this evolution, the evolution of a financial advisor. We've both been in the business for a long time. You see an evolution of an advisor, and sort of like to your point with this woman that works at LPL, evolution doesn't always mean going from retail to independent. It's a full cycle of evolution because eventually we don't want to take those risks. And I definitely can see that. And I would imagine that this model fits, again, this model, the solution, probably is a better way to put it. A solution is going to attract advisors that are tired of, they've made their money, they understand there's tax benefits, W-2, 1099, all that stuff, and they just don't want to take the risks anymore and they want to just plug into something which I can definitely appreciate. How do you view, I guess, what I call the sort of a, a lily pad? I use the term lily pad because you want to get across the river, so you're going to hop on these different lily pads. So before we get into the types of advisors that you see going here, because I do believe the, the large swath of these people are going to be from the W2 space. How do you see advisors using your full cycle of solutions, we'll start calling it, to stay with them through an evolution. So again, now you have W-2 and you have Strategic Wealth Solutions and you have Independence and you have an RIA solution. Do you see an advisor going through that process? And some firms have the ability for an advisor to switch sides, to change jerseys, not change jerseys, it's maybe the wrong way to put it, but switch within the company. How do you guys see that working within LPL for an advisor like that advisor is she's independent and she wants to go to this W-2 model or maybe you have, they come over, then they go into the W-2 model and then they go, wait a minute, this is not bad. I mean, I've been working from home from COVID for a year now anyway. So what's the difference? Why am I giving up 60 cents of every dollar to my firm that don't even do anything for me? I think that's part of, this is why this is a great release for you. But how do you see this full cycle of solutions helping an advisor to stay at LPL for a longer period of time? Frank, I would
0: tell you, we would fully embrace that model.
1: So we designed these
0: models. And again, they're models now, and eventually it'll just be how you want to evolve your practice so that you would be able to move as, let's take that advisor you spoke about, and she may come out into a W-2 model because she thinks that she wants supported independence. And then at some point over time, she may choose to want to run an RIA. And so she may want to set up her own RIA. And I think for us, as we've even looked at the ways that we construct these, how do we minimize so you're not repapering so that you can change the evolution of your practice without that disruption of having to change firms? And so that is, in fact, again, you alluded to it as the circle, but that for us is surrounding the advisor with all of the different, again, models today. Eventually, they will be much more fluid than that. Ways that they want to run and evolve their practice. There won't be any cues. Like there are certain firms that say that they support you across those, and then they stand you into a queue for six and nine months there won't be cues. It will be whatever's right for you. And I think that probably goes back to philosophically where this firm sits. This firm isn't trying to put advisors into a box. This firm is trying to open the box and let advisors live to their fullest capacity. And that means we support them. And that means we find out what they want to become and we adjust. We don't tell advisors to adjust to us. And so that means over time, they're going to want to do different things. And as they want to do different things, if they want to move W-2 and then they want to move into more of a supported independent model, and then they want to move into more comprehensive independent or even set up an RIA across all of that gamut, we can support them. And I think we'll build capabilities across each of those and probably even more. So this probably won't be the end of our story as to how we would think about supporting advisors differently and continue to introduce and really become more of a platform company than we would be discrete models company. And if you do that, I think then we stop talking about 17,000 advisors and we start saying, how do we support advisors however they want to do business? And I think it opens us up more broadly and it opens the advisor up to really running a practice and not feeling like, oh, I have to change firms to get to new models. This is a place that I think can really hopefully sustain long-term relationships with advisors if we earn their business every day.
1: Got it. Awesome. So let me get into the weeds a little bit, and you talk about what the branch looks like. So I grew up in the retail space. Smith Barney, I grew up as an advisor at Prudential. Smith Barney, I have a vision of walking into a branch, and there's a receptionist, and there's all these offices, and some of them are fancy, some are not fancy. There's a guy in the corner office who's the branch manager, and then there's, for those of you that have been in business long enough, know what a cage is. It's not an actual cage, but it's the operations area. So when you talk about having an office and support, can you just tell us, is that office A five-person office, a 10-person office, is there a branch manager on staff? When you talk about sales assistants, are you hiring sales assistants? So a lot of my clients, they have a team, they're doing 2 million, and they have two assistants, and we all know strong assistants really make or break a practice, and so they are the lifeblood of a really successful business, and they want to bring those people over. What does that branch look like? And I know you mentioned that you teamed up with a real estate company so that you're able to take down space quickly, what does it actually look like? What does a branch look like?
0: Our Boston office is open. So it looks like the branches you're used to. It has offices and then it has spaces where our CSAs or support will sit outside or directly inside. And even in that office, we have structured into a pod scenario. Some teams work together in a pod environment. I'll kind of get into the differences, but I think you think about it in terms of this is a class A real estate building in Boston we're actually on the 22nd floor but we took this space through our variable space vendor through our real estate partner on the first and second floors of the building and it looks like a beautiful office building that is a signature office building in the locations we're going to walk up space more often than not clients aren't taking elevators not broad signage because maybe this is a little bit of a difference for us is we're really branded to the advisor So we're really going to anchor under that advisor's brand. Not surprisingly, again, it makes their book more portable. Look, we've got to earn their business every day. So if we don't, we don't earn their business every day. We want them to keep their practice together, which means if they're going under their own brand and then they have to move because, God forbid, we didn't
1: listen. It's not like LPL financial on the statements, LPL, the big block letters on the corner of the building. Advisor can brand themselves however they want
0: going to be their DBA on the statements, just like we do in the independent side. And then there's obviously disclosures because we're the broker dealer, but you'll see the disclosures, but the advisor is the lead brand. You'll see the space is the similar space that you're used to. You think about that branch manager construct. And I would tell you, here's where we start to break from that norm. We're going to have an administrative manager on staff to make sure that everything's in place and there's an ability to escalate any issues that need to get escalated. You need to look at some variance in pricing on margin or something like that, that there is somebody directly there like the branch manager, some of the functions of the branch manager. But I think we're not replicating that expensive kind of infrastructure that is the branch manager to the complex director, to the regional director, to the divisional, to the national sales manager, which I would tell you again, the orientation here, Frank, and I'm not judging except to say that the orientation is that every dollar that's spent in this model should be supporting individual advisors and their ability to grow their practices. And so you won't see us putting in that install base that is legacy at a lot of other firms, because I'm not sure it benefits those advisors in that office necessarily. This is about facilitating their growth, and you'll have admin support, and then you'll have territories, if you will, and that as we build regions, there will be people there for, again, to support advisors but not in that expensive infrastructure way. And I think that's where we would err. This is about facilitating their ease of doing business more so than it is telling them, you got to shed those small households, or you need to push insurance in here, or let me get structured products here, or there's some quid pro quos that can go on. That doesn't exist. It won't exist. We won't have those conflicts. And maybe my last point there, because of our space model we're going to take down subscription. So our advisor will have an office, but we'll have a subscription into 1,500 locations across the country. And so if they want to be a snowbird and they sit in Boston, but they want to winter in Florida, they're not going to have to go through a complex negotiation between the branch manager in Boston and the branch manager in Fort Myers to determine who is it that's going to get the production credit because branch managers are paid on branch P&L. And so what ends up happening is the pawn in the middle of that ends up being the advisor invariably every time. That won't exist for us because we're not running branch-level P&Ls. We are actually providing as much support locally as we can with a national look and lens because we're not looking for someone to run that local p and I don't think you
1: introduce those conflicts. So are you going to have, I'm going to call them production minimums. This is sort of a twofold question. When you look at some of your competitors, so if I say there's some competitors out there, maybe a steward partners, as an example, might be a competitor because they're opening an office, the advisor gets a flat payout. And the Stuart Partners opens the branch. Are you gonna have production requirements? Are you gonna limit your locations to just certain geographic areas? And then the follow up question to that, which is really sort of the in the office thing, like every wirehouse from a retail firm, there's a production ratio per sales assistant. Have you guys worked out that model since most of your stuff and we see this more in the independent space is less paperwork, more virtual, e sig and all that stuff is more prevalent in the independent space. So What are the production minimums? What kind of geographies are you looking at in the sales system question?
0: There are production minimums. And so I think it's a good question. So for us to provide all of those benefits in the infrastructure, we're looking at around a half million dollars in production is kind of at the lower end of how we would think about this being viable. We'll go lower in certain circumstances. And usually in those circumstances, we're going to be looking for somebody who is still in growth mode. And so has really demonstrated some strong growth over the last couple of years, and so we can see a projectability, so we'll make an investment into that advisor. So half a million in production is kind of the way to think about that, but again, could go a little bit lower. If you look at the payouts, they start at 50 percent for an advisor doing 350,000 in production, they ascend up to 70 percent. And so I think over time, I could imagine that that would be pretty attractive. To advisors who are large producers, I think that that delta is going to be pretty sizable relative to their existing firm, and it will mean dollars in their pockets and material dollars in their pockets. And so we could see that running the gamut. Actually, what you had asked about is CSA support. And so I think this may be a bit of a counterintuitive answer to you, but we think that our CSA support, we will provide CSAs at a lower production requirement than most of the competitive firms that you talked about. And so those ratios of where you get to -to one-to-one, you talk about the top end being 2 million. I think we think about that being about half that amount to get the dedicated support from their CSA. And we recognize those ties that bind between a CSA and an advisor on a team, they're critical. There's no way you're going to unlink that. And so we obviously would bring those folks over as well and then employ them at our firm. So because we have focused on over-indexing to things that directly support the advisor's practice and their growth. That's why we have lower thresholds to achieve a CSA. It's also why we have dedicated marketing support into their practice. And so you look at this and go, man, they're paying 50 to 70%. I don't get, where's the trick? Oh, so here's the other thing, Frank. So we've had advisors come back to us and say, this is too good to be true. We know that you're going to change the payout after a year. So we're guaranteeing the payout for the life of the loan. So the forgivable loan is seven years. Because we're like, no, we're not. We know you've lived in that model and that's not the model we're providing. And so when we heard that feedback, we're like, well, this is pretty easy for us. So unlike other firms that are trying to maximize profitability every year by changing and reducing advisor payout, it's not the model we've lived in for 30 years. It's not the model we're gonna live in for the next 30 years. And so this isn't too good to be true. It's just true.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a lot of advisors think that. I got two more questions. There's a lot of advisors listening to the podcast. If someone's listening to this podcast and they're in a retail space, It doesn't matter what space, they're regional firm, independent firm, doesn't matter. W2 wirehouse. When you guys built this thing out, you had to have had a target advisor that you were looking for. And maybe this is a softball question, but whatever. What does that advisor look like for you that you said, man, this guy, we need to find a solution for that person, that woman? What does that look like?
0: What does she look like? Listen to the earnings every quarter. For your core wirehouse firms and listen to them talk and brag about their production per FA going higher and higher and higher. And by the way, I don't begrudge them for that, but recognize that they are on a dead sprint to a private wealth model. And so those resources, the alignment of resources, by and large are going to those advisors doing 1.5 million to $5 million in production. And there are a slew of advisors that are sitting below that. 1.5 to $2 million production below them that are being left behind, which is like, hey, you can come here, you can still hang your shingle here. You're not really our core advisor. You're not really who we want to serve, but you can stay here while we're going through our transformation to a private wealth firm. Those are the advisors. That I think are the center of gravity, dead bullseye. If you feel like your firm is focused on 500 advisors, 1500 advisors, but there's 16,000 of you at the firm, We're looking at you and saying, that's not how this model works. This model works that you get all of the support you used to get. I had an advisor I spoke to last week and he was like, you won't believe this. I changed firms, I went to this other firm. I brought my CSA with me and she and I have worked together for 21 years. And guess what happened? My production hasn't ascended and the big advisor in the corner came to me and told me he was taking my CSA. (laughs) (laughs) And one, it's offensive. Two, it's endorsed by the firm because it's the corner office advisor. And so who's being left in the dust and forgotten about? If you're not on a path to private wealth and serving 2 million plus clients, I'm not sure that you're in the center of gravity for the firms that we're targeting. And I would tell you that is firmly our center of gravity.
1: Awesome, that's a great answer. Yeah, I see that. And then last question is, so we talk about all these different options and these solutions that you have. And of course, I'll preface this this question by saying, they can always call me. <laughs> if you're an advisor looking at LPL, how do you identify which model is right for you? So of course, again, call me and I'll help you with that. But let's just say you want to call LPL directly. You
0: didn't even let me show for
1: you. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm very transparent. Everybody that knows me know that I say what I think. So
0: Good news, me too. Often to my detriment. So now I got a bunch of friends from the places I used to work at after they listen to this call me and just say, You're just a jerk. The truth is, the first thing is that I do think that I think you should be really clear that I would be really clear with advisors. And and we see this all the time. We actually, I call it finding a river guide, finding someone who can help you through that transition process and say, hey, I sit at one of the firms and I'm thinking about taking my path. And I think, Frank, your, your firm is an excellent example of that, which is advisors need to start with what are the goals you're trying to achieve? What is it that you want to do? Because what I told you is we're trying to build a set of offerings to surround an advisor. That will support their goals. Going into a construct that says, I need to go to a W 2 because I have to go to a W 2, that's not the right answer. The right answer is okay, what level of risk do you want to take? What level of running your practice do you want to have? How do you want to spend your time serving clients? Is it that you want to acquire practices and you want to integrate them and you want to have advisors on an ensemble team or you want to be a sole practitioner? I think these are the questions that I think speaking with you, you can start to get that down in terms of okay, and I think. At some point, somebody can help that advisor think about what the right outcomes are. And sometimes it's complex. For us, I told you, we don't have internal competition to models because those models are not business lines. The business line that we have is one, and it's serving advisors. And so, again, eventually, we're reconstructing our infrastructure. So it's all kind of switches and knobs, maybe a 1,000 different moving parts. And each individual advisor then has a different combination of those 1,000. For us, we have business development officers that will work with advisors to help them understand what they're trying to achieve and then help them understand the differences in our model so that they can make the best decisions. But I'm going to be completely truthful here. I think if you're an advisor trying to make this decision, I think you should engage a river guide. And I think you're a perfect river guide to help them because it's a complex decision that hopefully you're going to pick a partner that you're going to be with for the next fill-in 10, 20 years. And you make that decision, don't make it lightly. Do your due diligence. Look, not every advisor chooses to join our firm. We work hard to make sure we understand why they don't. But I'm also not happy, but I also am appreciative when advisors are doing a lot of due diligence and have great counsel so that they can make the best decision for themselves, for their practice and the others in their practice, for their clients and for their families.
1: I appreciate that. And for those of you that have never worked with me before or listen to my podcast, I'm very, I appreciate the kind words. We do have a model that I love the term river guide. We really help identify what the advisor is looking for in their next move. There's a lot of times where it's LPL for one reason or another, and there's some times where it's not. And that's okay, because you don't want someone to come to LPL that really probably shouldn't be there for one reason or another. It's just not going to end well for anybody. You guys aren't going to be happy. The advisor's not going to be happy. They're going to look at me and be like, what were you thinking? Why did you guide me there, whatever? But for me, I think the reason why I wanted to do this, and I really appreciate your time, is because I've been calling for something like this for a couple of years, actually. I'm like, the firm that comes out with a W-2 model that looks just like an independent model is going to win. Not an independent model that smells like W-2, an actual W-2 model with all of the bells and whistles and I'll call them creature comforts of independence. Being able to use technology the way it is, and social media and branding. Some of the things that just unfortunately, I don't, for the life of me, don't understand why, you can't get at some of the wires, I'll say wires. And so this, to me, was a pretty big deal because for me, it fits a lot of our clients. And so I appreciate you taking the time. I know this is sort of like a last minute thing, <laughs> oh, but yeah. I wanted to get ahead of it. I was getting a lot of questions. So thank you very much. You did a great job explaining it, and I really appreciate it. For those of you that are listening, if you have questions, you can always, again, DM me at franklarosa.elite on Instagram or DM me on my LinkedIn account or shoot me an email at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel. And also put a comment in the comment box about what you're thinking and what you'd like to see next. And so I think this was a great time. I really appreciate it, Rich. Thank you very much. And I look forward to everybody here in our next podcast. And I'll see everybody next time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So long.
0: Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.